So this is the second lesson, population analysis, of in our final tranche of lessons. This is applying what we learned in lessons one through eight to analyzing and navigating the global information environment, the information terrain, if you will. The Blomart reading underlines how anthropologists can never rely only on interviews, surveys, and polls. But that is a survey or a poll is but one set of data points to analyze a community. Now the Lankford reading has a purpose, and I don't want the Lankford reading to derail our dialogue and seminar and plenary. It can derail it because the subject matter is very interesting. The subject matter is violent extremism, terrorism, and suicide bombings, something that we're going to come back to in a radicalization lesson later in the course. Although the subject matter may be fascinating, it certainly is for me, it is Langford's claims about the limits of interviews, of surveys, and of polls that are important to this lesson. He is questioning one of the primary sources of data for some social science scholars. And boy, did he get make some people very angry and very unhappy. Uh, I certainly don't come down on one side or the other. Instead, I think that Langford provides an antithesis, a counterpoint, if you will, on how the media perhaps overemphasizes polls, surveys, and social media metadata calling. In other words, collecting. Calling means uh, collecting uh, data, if you will. Perhaps they emphasize it too much in the media. So this reading is to generate rich debate and dialogue. It's certainly not to say that surveys or interviews um, don't have an important place in methodology and research. I think, uh, taking a step back for a second, this lesson is important for three reasons. The first is the target of, much, of most information, persuasion, and influence campaigns is ultimately the human being and their behavior. Number two, you may also be in positions after NDU, perhaps before your time at NDU, to outsource measures of effect, measures of impact of information campaigns. If so, we want to arm you with questions and considerations when reading or listening to contractor bids. Polls and surveys and online data calling is a massive industry. And we want you to be prepared, we all want to be prepared, to avoid those whose methodologies may be wanting, those whose methodologies may come up short, whose findings may be less than meaningful, and in some cases, worse than nothing. And finally, number three, for the importance of this lesson, we want to continue our journey on challenging ourselves on new frameworks to analyze the global information environment, which may be, I think, helpful in any type of campaign, diplomacy, military, economy, information, any type of campaign in any genre to understand the effects on human beings. Now I'll chat quickly about some of the possible limitations of surveys, polls, interviews, and online data calling of opinions. But whether data calling through people's professed and volunteered opinions online or answering survey questions online or off offline, similar issues arise on the usefulness of any one study. 
We must look to methods of social sciences to include ethnography, anthropology, communication studies, neurobiology, and even historical archive analysis to find the limitations and weaknesses of studies that overstate their confidence in people's beliefs and opinions. Bottom line is that reported opinions rarely reflect actual opinions. Actual opinions rarely reflect true beliefs. True beliefs rarely translate into action. So we must take this into account when looking to survey and poll data or any type of data analytics of social media. We must look to other sources, whether it's ethnography or history, observations. A quote from the reading from Blomart, people are not cultural or linguistic catalogs, and most of what we see as their cultural and social behavior is performed without reflecting on it, without an active awareness that this is actually something they do. Consequently, it is not a thing they have an opinion about. Asking, indeed, very often, is the worst possible way of trying to find out. To continue on with that uh, quote from that reading, people have no opinion about most of things that happen around them. There are very, very few issues in the world that are everybody's concern. And now to Adam, Adam Langford. The simplest way to understand people's motives is, and he says, dripping with irony, just to ask them. The easiest way to know what's going on inside somebody's brains is to listen to what comes out of their mouths. But, he says, um, although this is oftentimes how social scientists, scientists get their information, that is, administering surveys, conducting interviews, looking at so-called empirical data, um, assuming that this data is trusted and correct. He states that we can't believe everything we hear, that respondents may give consistently unreliable answers, influenced by social and cultural biases, they may be lying with ulterior motives and psychological denial, or lack the knowledge to provide accurate answers. And according to the book Subliminal, we find that when it comes to understanding our feelings, we humans have an odd mix of low ability and high confidence. We are not like computers that crunch data in a relatively straightforward manner and calculate results. The real reasons behind our judgments, feelings, behavior can surprise us. We find in social media especially that people using social media from Twitter to TikTok to old-fashioned blogs will often present a simplified, exaggerated, skewed, idealized, or untrue persona instead of presenting their true thoughts and emotions in all its complexity and ugliness. No version of AI can detect and classify and analyze most posts that are ironic, sarcastic, or funny. And no version of AI can really detect enduringly ever-evolving dialects, idioms, and cultural subtext. According to Ben Smith in the New York Times, it can be hard to untangle theatrical outrage and Twitter screaming matches from real differences in values. People's spoken and written opinions may have very little to do with the intensity and consistency of belief. So tweets and poll answers may often not reflect real beliefs. Self-reported beliefs may not translate into action, so we must analyze polls, surveys, and metadata calling critically 
these qualitative methodologies uh, may be helpful. And finally, I want to talk about some points on conducting surveys, polls, and interviews in insecure or unstable areas. They sometimes can be deeply flawed. Insecure areas may keep locals from answering questions truthfully out of fear of violent extremist retribution. This is, I'm actually talking specifically in this case about Yemen, Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan, some of the most overpolled places in the world. Those that speak in insecure areas may taper their answers out of fear, causing perhaps some level of social desirability bias. Thus, insecure and unstable areas may seem to harbor the fewest grievances. Relatively more secure pockets in otherwise unstable countries may allow people to feel that they can speak more freely to criticize foreign and local formal government representatives. Thus, secure and relatively stable areas may seem to harbor the strongest grievance in some surveys. Regardless of how a surveyor introduces the survey, respondents may believe that local and foreign governments may read the answers and judge respondents negatively. Thus, answers may be tainted, no matter how, again, regardless of how the surveyor introduces the survey or promises that the people, uh, their names will be kept off the answers. Those with access to media may speak about their opinions on their perception of their country or region writ large, vice their own community, independent uh, if the question is about the community, or independent if the question is about the community or not. Respondents may taint their answers with countrywide opinions. Operations, federal government presence, unfolding international events, and other outside factors may hurt or help perceptions on security and governance. Uh, Third-party activity may affect answers. So what's going on in the world may affect answers, especially if a poll or a survey is being done, let's say, on a monthly or weekly basis. We have to know what else is going on to better understand certain patterns from polls and surveys. The presence of foreign militaries and formal government actors may lead to an increase in collateral damage and spikes in perceptions of insecurity. In war zones and amidst civil strife, most civilians cannot be reached for surveys or interviews. Thus, sample sizes may be highly unreliable. Surveys in insecure areas demand that special consideration be given to ensuring that both researchers and research subjects are not put at risk, which may uh, undermine accuracy. Convenience polling, that is only polling in areas where people um, are readily available to answer questions safely, will skew analysis of the population. Also, in some areas of the world, um, respondents will answer why, how did this happen, and what were the events that led to this differently, revealing cultural, philosophical, cognitive, and um, language variances among different villages, different tribal areas, leading sometimes to inaccuracies in polling. Closed and leading questions often lead to inaccurate answers, whereas open questions and discussions play sometimes, especially in Afghanistan, uh, play into the long and rich narrative traditions. Often open questions lead to respondents speaking about important matters not thought of when designing the initial questions, or respondents take time getting to the point of a particular question. This is something that I found uh, when I've been conducting interviews in the Middle East and Southwest Asia, uh, also in the Horn of Africa, which is sometimes I'll have a number of questions, but let's say question, open questions 
uh, but but sometimes they'll get to question one in question five. They'll kind of think about things as they go along or as they are telling stories. Uh, independent of how a surveyor introduces the survey, respondents may believe that answers could lead to development projects, especially in light of past development and humanitarian aid and stabilization projects, because groups oftentimes when you implementing partners are um, let's say they are building a school in a certain area, they'll often conduct surveys ahead of time, surveys afterwards to try to measure uh, impact. They want those initial surveys to have sort of a baseline. Um, and there are areas in the world, pockets in, for example, Africa, Southwest and Southeast Asia, where if you're conducting a survey, very often there might be a misbelief that, oh, this might lead to something. And so that might lead people's answers. In other words, if people want a well, they may stress that having a well is one of the most important issues when perhaps it's not uh, at that time. So some uh, thoughts, some ideas for us to debate and think about. I look forward to seeing you in plenary and seminar. Thank you.